What's up, everybody? Welcome to It's Not That Terrible, the podcast where I, Zach Brown, sit with my co-host, Morgan Heisler, and we talk about the terrible movies that we love. And this week, we are talking Empire Records, released in 1995, and has a 30 score on Metacritic. And we've brought one person this week to talk about the movie with us. That is George Loftus. George, how's it going? It is going well. So happy to be here. Happy to talk about one of my favorite movies from my childhood. That 30 on Metacritic seems like a d- disgrace. Um, I don't understand how that could possibly happen, but let's. I'm, I'm excited to talk about it and try to figure out why. Yeah, I. that's what I was talking about when I first, we were first pulling up movies to do on the show, and I saw that it had that low. I was shocked. Because I had always thought this movie was like a Dazed and Confused, just not as popular as Dazed and Confused. Like it always like seemed like it might have had this had the same maybe reaction from critics, but apparently did not. Apparently it was not enjoyed very much at all. And so, George, what is kind of your history of this movie? Um, my history. So I was born in 1990, so I was five when this movie came out. Um, I did not see it uh, on its first run. But I have a brother who's eight years older than me and a sister who's seven years older than me. So I always kind of gravitated towards their definition of cool. And so as I was getting older, like eight or nine, uh, this was like one movie that they liked. And so I tried to watch it just to try to be cool by proxy. Um, And just seeing like, oh, this is what it's like to be a teenager. God, I can't fucking wait to be a teenager. It's going to be fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was just the the epitome of cool uh, when I was in like fifth grade, fourth grade. Um, that's my relationship. That just w- renting it as often as I could from the blockbuster equivalent in my hometown. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Morgan, what about you? I know you've kind of we talked about it a little bit, but what's kind of your history with the movie, if any at all? Yeah, so this movie came out in '95, uh, which is the year I was born. So, of course, I definitely didn't see this uh, on any run, <laughs> but uh, I. My relationship with this movie is pretty thin as well. I have a coworker who loves to quote movies, and this is one of the movies they always quote. And they like I it would always like lose me. So there's like, oh, you've never seen Empire Records. And so a few months ago when it was on Netflix, I watched it and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Now I can say that I've seen Empire Records. And then whenever we were talking about movies for the show, like you said, um, we saw we saw that it was like was it it's a thirty on Metacritic right yeah it's even lower I think on RT let me check but yeah it's really which, low yeah which I think like I I don't find like I like this movie fine but it's definitely not a thirty it's not a thirty now like you can make a case for you can probably make a case for like a fifty or a sixty or something like that um, because like plot structure wise it's not really crazy but. Yeah, as far as the 30s is concerned, yeah, it's a little, uh, that's a little low. Uh, but yeah, like you, George, I also had, um, I also had an older sibling too, so I gravitated toward things that, um, a lot of people in my age group didn't really, uh, get until way later. So yeah, I, weren't, expo- I, weren't exposed to it all. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I was watching Saved by the Bell probably a lot, lo- a lot, like, younger than most of the people that I grew up with. I'm sure most of the people I grew up with didn't even watch Saved by the Bell. But what about you, Zach? What's your history with it? Yeah, so I'm going to be on the opposite side of you guys. I was born five years after this came out. <laughs> um, I didn't see it until my, my junior year of high school, I think. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. Like, I really liked This kind of fits. Like, we talked about on the show before. My favorite movie of all time is Mallrats. This fits in yeah. that day in the life Mallrats structure. That I also love Days of Confused. I love this. I love more. they're all three like kind of the same film in different aspects. And I'm a yeah. huge '90s music person, so like that kind of helps. But uh, I've seen it 
uh, many, many times. As of the past probably year, I've only seen it maybe twice. But I have a damn the man save the save the empire uh, sticker on my computer that I carry around all the time, and I I really like this movie. Um, I like the cast a lot. We'll talk about that later. But yeah, I've just kind of fallen in love with this movie, even though it's before my time technically, because being a teenager now is not like it was in this movie. <laughs> no, yeah, and it's funny you funny you bring up um, Disney confused and Mallrats. Uh, Lu- uh, Lucas, right? Yeah. The uh, the boy who steals all the money and gambles it away. Um, he is the stoner in Days of Confused, and uh, he has like one of my favorite lines in Days of Confused, which is, uh, which is, uh, "Are you cool, man?" <laughs> and he's just like, he has the bowling ball in the back. He's like, "Hey, whose bowling ball is this?" And he's like, "It's yours now, man." <laughs> like that, I I love that actor so much, just because even in this movie, he does such a good job playing this stoic <laughs> sort of. Uh, I don't want to call him an idiot because he's not he's very smart but he has like this stroke of whatever he has at the beginning of this movie that sets everything in motion and he's just so profound <laughs> in the way that he talks about everything you know but, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a special kind of arrogance he has truly in this movie yeah um, god it was so good he reminds <laughs> me a lot so crazy he reminds me a lot of finch from american pie yes like his character is the way very he speaks. true reminds me so much of Finch from American Pie and I think that that movie kind of I don't know like the character models are kind of like similar at some points but yeah I just mm-hmm. I, I actually thought it was Eddie K. Thomas at first and I was like wait a second no that makes no sense he looks nothing like him he just acts like his character yeah um it's funny like you guys brought up a couple movies I made a small list mm-hmm. even before um seeing your notes for it but um from the 70s like the one movie that really fits this sort of bill for me was American Graffiti uh, I was thinking the exact same thing just now before you said mm. it what a yeah where it's just where it's just you know a one day in the life just a complete slice of life normalcy and yeah you know a unremarkable day where remarkable things happen and then the 80s um the two big ones that came out for me were Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes, mm-hmm. I was gonna. I, yeah. I was thinking Breakfast Club earlier today, whenever I was uh, stewing over this movie. And then in the '90s, I got Clerks, Mallrats, Before Sunrise, Do the Right Thing, uh, Die Hard Three, or sorry, Die Hard with a Vengeance, uh, <laughs> and Days and Confused as like the major ones. And then I guess like this kind of filmmaking fit to me feels like it's kind of gone away. Yeah. Yeah, I really miss it. Cause, like this is like my favorite kind of movie. It's such an odd subgenre mm-hmm. that I really love. You don't get that anymore. Yeah, and I feel like if it were to come back, I feel like this would be the perfect um, Netflix genre, you know, sort of like, I mean, a lot in, a lot in the same way how um, a lot of teen romance and teen dramas have gone to Netflix, like All the Boys I Loved Before. Oh, what a good movie. Um, yeah, which Kissing like... Booth, right? Yeah. Yeah, Kissing Booth, uh, things like that, which wouldn't probably sell a ton in theaters uh with, like was it this movie only made i think i, heard, I was listening to <laughs> like another podcast 500k today. it is less it, than 500k it made three it made three hundred and like three thousand dollars from what i heard which and so bonkers. i was which that's not what that's not what you want yeah no definitely not what you want so yeah i think this would be if this genre did come back it would be super cool to have is like a uh, a netflix sort of comeback thing um, well, especially because who's to even say if we're going to have theaters in the next few years, right? 
Yeah, no kidding. Oh Wait, sorry, 303. Like, even with all the light, like, just thinking of the licensing for all the songs in this movie, that is just... Right. I, oh, I, that's not great. Yeah, because I was, I was told you all before the show, I was listening to um, Jarrett Goes to the Movies, which is Jarrett from uh, Bowling for Soup's movie podcast. Maybe go check it out. It's a pretty good show. Um, so, yeah, he, he, he brought that up as a piece of trivia, and I was just like, there's no way. And the budget for the movie uh, was in the millions, for sure. Yeah, it's a little more than um, 10. It's a little over 10 is what Wikipedia shows. That's okay, not an exact okay, number, yeah. but it's greater than 10. Yeah, which is just, ooh, that is, um, not oh, good. man, that is not good, yeah. Yeah, and I think, like, it's shocking. Like, I know the movie now has a really big cult following. Like, I think mm-hmm. it kind of has the same, like, Rocky Horror where theaters play it. Rant, like, not, like, the people in front of the screen acting it out, but theaters will play it, like, smaller. Right. Like, uh, single-screen places will play it. And I really love the movie. I, I, can, I understand why it didn't make a whole lot, because it really has a kind of a niche, like, right. record store crazy kids in music is not like a big selling point I don't think but mm-hmm. I think that the percentage on Rotten Tomatoes and the percentage on Metacritic and then the the, the movie the movie money it made is shocking when seeing yeah. the culture impact it has now well it's funny because like I like I said like I remember renting this movie a ton from like my local blockbuster equivalent um, from a very small town in Maine like there's just no chains where I'm from so yeah blockbuster like we'll just leave it at that <laughs> Sure. Um, but, like, as, as much as I rented it from there, like, asked to rent it from my parents, um, I've actually seen this movie way more times in bars. Um, oh, that's crazy. And so just, like, as time has gone on, like, I started going to bars in 2010, 2011, like, whenever I turned 21. Yeah. And, um, the, you know, everyone had cable, no one had DVD players, anything like that. And now, just, like, with the ubiquity of smart TVs, like, um, bars will just be running Netflix all the time. So, like, whenever it's on Netflix, like... I know it is because I go to a bar and it's on. <laughs> it's just on playing loop. in the background at the bar. Yeah, it's just. Well, uh, I feel like for anyone who was like 15 when this movie came out, like basically like late millennials, yeah, um, or sorry, early millennials, late Gen Xers. Like this was just kind of like um, I don't know, just like a stamp in time where they're just like, no, yeah. that's kind of what it was like. And I could just see so this... much so much nostalgia for it. Yeah, I could see an argument being made that um. Days again views aside, this movie being uh, like some kid in the '90s own Breakfast Club. You know, like this is the movie that they identify with, as opposed to like, you know, maybe our parents did in the '80s with the Breakfast Club. Given, I well, think, like, go ahead. No, sorry, sorry. I was gonna say I, you're absolutely right because it's contemporary. Like, yeah. I mean, with Days and Fuse, it's just like, oh, that's the way it was. Whereas this movie, it's like, oh, that's the way it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, even like even having even having a stepbrother in the early 2000s. There's like in the early 2000s we all know there's there's a lot of like remnants from the 90s especially the mid 90s um and late 90s that kind of bled over we didn't really get a lot like di- didn't really get rid of this aesthetic until probably 2003 or 2004 and so growing up you know i had the stepbrother who uh had a black light in his room had like you know wore those necklaces had the big shirts and like his friends had had like the weirdly styled loose hair like the whole like the whole spiel like everything in this movie feels super familiar to me despite having lived it in 95 and so i find that super interesting and like i told you both before the show i was feeling pretty whelmed like i didn't feel like any particular way whenever i watched it but you know actually talking about it and thinking about it with you now like i kind of i don't know i think i'm starting to lean a little bit more fond of it because it's 
it's almost like a nostalgia I didn't have. Yeah, I'm in the same boat with you. Is that it's it's a time capsule for me of something mm-hmm. I never witnessed. Like I, I yeah. mean, I've been to record stores because like I'm a you know '90s grunge fanatic, but like I never grew up in a time where like there were people working like at a at a record store. They're all friends and hung out, and it was a yeah. big thing for everyone to go there. Like there's a store in Springfield about an hour away from here that I go to, but even then, it's a tiny little place has like two guys working, and half mm-hmm. it's a glass shop. So it's not like it's a full-on record store or anything yeah i think i know exactly what place you're talking you 100 do i can't even think of the name but i probably know what you're talking about well that and like i said like you guys are a little bit younger than me like i don't yeah. need to play the age card or anything well sure but like, go ahead yeah. I'm a baby when when i was when i was 14 15 like there was a record store in my town and then that one closed but now it feels like it's easier for a record store to succeed now than it was 15 years ago um and so like i think small parts of this culture are creeping back um, into I don't want to say mainstream, but like, well, I think mainstream's a good word for n- it. Not qu- not quite fringe, you know. Like even yeah, fuck fuck even Target near me is like selling vinyls now, and so like because of yeah. that, like there are mom and pop shops that are selling like used vinyls, and I feel like it's just easier for a store like that to exist now. As and I think it might have just like oh we needed it to go away before so it could come back like yeah something Agreed. like that mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, like, as someone who listens to, um, and I don't know the type of music, I mean, Zach, I, I know what type of music you listen to, but <laughs> as far as, <laughs> as far as George, like, I don't really know the type of music you listen to, but, you know, growing up and, like, listening to hardcore throughout the years and, like, listening to hardcore now, like, modern hardcore, and still, like, people bringing back cassettes and bringing back, bringing back vinyls and 10-inch and, like, all of these, like, all these re- oddly weird retro sort these of things. Artif- artifacts, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for better, yeah, for better, for worse, yeah, artifacts. Uh, it's very strange, and I work at a music store, so I don't work at a record shop. I work for, you know, an actual music store, but uh, we even sell record players. We don't sell media, but we sell record players, and so, sure. and I feel like that's enough of, like, you know, enough of a thing in and of itself. Wait, uh, sorry, do you sell CD players too, or is it strictly vinyl? No, it's just vinyl players. Awesome, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah it's the <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. No one wants to buy a CD player. Absolutely, I mean everybody has one, right? Like, I mean you would imagine, you know, you buy any car nowadays, you have a CD player. You don't really have to worry about that. Um, sure, whereas yeah. like a vinyl, like a record player, that is for some people, I mean, an investment now, which is just nuts to me. So yeah, I think you're totally right. There's a store, there's a record store in Bentonville that I cannot think of. Uh, the oh, name I, of I right walked now. past it just Saturday. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah. Though. It's a tiny yeah, little it, place. It's a very tiny place, but we know the people there and um, like they're, you know, they're fine. You know, they're doing fine, which is super rad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, and that's go ahead, go ahead, George. Oh no, please. Sorry. I, I was going to say like, I think the conversation we're having here is great. Cause like, I, I feel like this episode is much more discussing like the kind of the impact mm-hmm. the movie has instead of the actual movie itself at points. Cause like, I think yeah. this movie is not, we've had movies in the past that had like points you could talk about the plot of this movie is kind of just like this long stretching like we need money and the very end oh we got money there is yeah. no like plot i feel like it's very like it, was, it wasn't even oh we got money it was like oh he actually lowered the price yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so like not only do we not need money we actually need we don't need a lot less money <laughs> like, yeah it's like it's like the who's line of 90s movies like the plot's made up and the points don't matter <laughs> like yeah, right. that's basically basically where we end up by the end of it which is fine um like i have like my own critiques of like some of the uh i, I don't know if i would call them 
character so much as more as like I think they're um, caricatures, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, it's the people. Yeah, like. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I think you're right. Like they're not characters; they're just people that would be around in mm-hmm. a record shop in the mid '90s. Like they're just that is such a great way to put it. Yeah, they're just stand-ins for yeah. certain stereotypes. Yeah, um, they're they're stereotypes with names. <laughs> is basically yeah. how I see it. Yeah, agreed. And I want to I want to talk about because I feel like there's one thing the movie's missing, and it's Joey mm-hmm. Lauren Adams. <laughs> so we have Renee no, Zellweger, we... which is basically just Joey Lauren Adams, but truly. If she was in this movie, it'd be, like, a perfect film, because she just fits. What's amazing, though, she did this, and then the year after, she did Jerry Maguire. I watched Jerry Maguire right? last night, and of her, course you did. the difference between her and this and Jerry are, like, unbelievable. <laughs> How many times did you cry? Oh, I cried the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. God, that movie's perfect. The human Shout head out to Jonathan Libnicki. Yeah. God. Uh, well, it's funny, because I actually, um, I've been on a binge lately, and I've watched this movie four times in three days, but uh, almost famous. Oh my god! Oh my god! What a great! And so like that movie came out five years after this one. Yeah. And too, the way it sort of harkens back, like not unlike Dazing and Fuse, where I mean, like it's it's semi autobiographical about the director Cameron Crowe, who like traveled, I think, with Black Sabbath back in the day. Mm-hmm. And so Almost Famous is like kind of based about that, but it's just like another movie that is about young people and the influence they have on music and the influence that music has on them. And here, in Almost Famous, it really just seems like it's about the influence the music has on them. Yeah, mm-hmm. agreed. It, feel, I love, it just feels a little less deep because of it. Yeah, and I love the Gwar video <laughs> so much. Oh, yeah. I love that video so much. And segueing off of talking about the music, the soundtrack of this movie is fucking mm-hmm. phenomenal. Agreed, oh, yeah. Okay. It is really good. so, yeah. is, I have here in our notes, this soundtrack fucks. Uh, Till I Hear like, It From You is a great classic, and then, like, Sugar High, I listen to just randomly, because yes. it just, like, it it bangs so hard. It's just like, like And I just, I was thinking about this last night, like, I love 90s alternative, I, yeah, I guess that's what you would call it, right? Like, yeah. I just love 90s alternative so much. Because um, I don't think Gin Blossoms really fit into a grunge section, they're more of, like, an alternative, like a, yeah. light, a lot lighter of a band. Yeah. Yeah, this was that was one movie um, where like I remember pausing the VHS and just like writing down the song names like at the end of it, like during the credits, <laughs> and then like struggling to like find them on Napster, you know. <laughs> oh, I was I was waiting for Kaza to come out of your uh, mouth. No, honestly, uh, I was I was there for first wave. My sister uh, was there for first wave of Napster, and then oh, yeah, God. and then Kaza, and then LimeWire. Um, yeah, man, fuck, uh, plowed by Sponge off this track or off the soundtrack that always gets me pumped up when that comes on um yeah i I love the soundtrack yeah i think that really kind of leans into why i love this like i do mall rats is because the soundtracks Mm -hmm. are both just things that i don't know they're songs that i love that i I can't name half of them but when i hear them i know them i will say mall rats feels a little bit more directed like it feels like they have the story first and then the soundtrack second. oh yeah, much, one, yeah i like can't i can't tell so it's a real chicken and the egg like what came first the soundtrack or the movie idea you know <laughs> i would like, i would almost like bet money that like they they were uh, i don't know i was gonna say that maybe they were like uh made at the same time like somebody was like writing the plot and they were like oh this song would go good here but at the mm-hmm. same time like i'm not so sure that's even the case because it almost feels like yeah, I mean, it almost feels like they just came like, oh, here's a sick soundtrack. Let's make a movie based on it. Like, let's like let's make a movie around it. 
Well, that and there's just so much interaction with the music too that yeah. it just it honestly it feels like a music video with just like mm. less interesting cinematography. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You know, and, just because like Pearl Jam had to like try a little harder. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, and it gives it it gives it its own charm that like movies don't have. I think like yeah. I don't know if I've ever I don't know if I've ever watched like a if you can call this a coming of age. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen anything quite like this as far as like the way that like the music is incorporated in I don't know just like it's part of it's a I mean it's a character like I think the music in this movie is more of a character than any of the names you know mm-hmm. yeah I agree with that 100% I think the it gives more of a the viewer more of a experience than the actual characters do yeah like, for the, sure I'm there for the music more than I am most of the characters Mm-hmm. Although I do think the characters in this are pretty great, they're pretty fun. Also, like I can't name half of them, but I think they're all they're all fun to watch. Right. Uh, and I, I put it in here also. I want to kind of move on a little bit. But Rex Manning is a shit, a shit stain. I yeah. hate that character so much. And before I started watching it today, I couldn't remember. I remember the scene of uh, Liv Taylor. It's Liv Tyler. Liv Tyler, right? Tyler. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Liv Taylor is someone else. Liv Tyler. Uh, the scene where she's in the the room and she starts undressing. For mm-hmm. some reason, I connected that scene and the Renee, the Renee Zellweger scene as the same scene. And I oh, really okay. thought for a second we were, there was a statutory rape subplot. Subplot. And I was like, oh no, Ooh. we should not be doing this movie. And then I yeah. then, <laughs> then it fixed it, and I was like, oh thank God. I totally thought this was going to be go somewhere else. But yeah, yeah, and that, honestly, like, whenever that happened and Rex uh, does the thing with the ranch, I was just like, for one, that really sucks for her uh, mm-hmm. because that's that's got to be humiliating, but also, like, oh, good on him for not doing, for, like, knowing better. And then, sure enough, like, he's still a shitbag by the end of it, for sure. But, like, yeah. I was really, I like Zach, I was like, oh, I hadn't seen this movie in a while. And I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? Is he, are, are they going to do the thing? And then it doesn't happen. And I was like, oh, that was a shitty way to handle it. But I was very relieved that that did not, that was not a thing. Well, it's, it's just like, that was such a subplot in so many things. You know, like you watch a movie like 16 Candles and you're like, oh yeah, yeah this is a great story. And then all of a sudden you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I will say like, out of all the movies that we've done, so or, I say all the movies we've done so far, but all the movies from the nineties and, um, things with crass humor i don't think this movie is very crass and i think that Mm. even for a movie in the 90s there's one homophobic joke and Mm. it doesn't linger it just goes away and it's definitely a scene that like could not be filmed today but um but it's not a it's not a jane silent bob and it's definitely not a mall rats and i think even mall rats does a i mean a better job than jane silent bob obviously but but yeah, I was very surprised watching this that we did not get more of problematic, uh, problematic humor. It was very well. It's like, if I, like you can't really watch American Pie these days, right? No, absolutely I, not. Oh, yeah, I watched it a couple of weeks ago, and it was not. It's hard to laugh. Yeah. 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 The only Agreed. joke that makes me laugh is the pale ale joke because Stifler sucks. <laughs> that is the only joke that made me laugh the entire time. I don't know, man. Like, uh. Jason Biggs like putting his wiener in a pie. That's still kind of funny. Like that's just like that's just Three Stooges humor, you know. But that's not funny. But like Eugene Levy being like, yeah. I, I guess we'll just tell your mom. Ate the pie. That part, yeah, that course. part absolutely sells it. But um, but no, I think you're right that it, like this movie was like oddly uh, prescient, or that's probably not even the right word. But I guess like oddly empathetic and like mm-hmm. yeah. You were talking about it a little bit earlier about like the characters and how they're not really. I guess 
developed almost sounds like too much credit but like they're not really there like they're mostly there as like a excuse to get you to the next scene mm-hmm. i guess yeah and so like that's why like the music i think is so strong is because like there's not enough for you to absorb through the characters and so like i remember being a teenager i was dumb i didn't have a whole lot to say i wasn't as interesting as the art i was consuming i just wish i was you know um yeah and I think I they actually like... like captured that pretty well here and so the fact that like the old musician was like the the asshole <laughs> it, it was the kids who were right you know yeah, um, and I, I also feel like this movie does a good job of making the viewer feel like they're just a customer in the store. Like, I feel yeah. like I feel like a lot of the time, uh, I know Warren, the, the kid who tries to steal CDs, I know, like... <laughs> I like... Yeah. I, know that, I know that kid's, like, a shitbag, and that's, like, the whole point, but this movie almost feels like... Because he's the only one who doesn't work there, right? He's a bystander. And it feels like watching this movie, it kind of feels like the the movie's almost told through the lens of Warren a little bit because you don't really know anybody here and the movie doesn't really do a good job of, and I say a good job, but whether or not it was supposed to do that, I can't say for sure. I'm not the writer, but it doesn't, it doesn't give you context behind these relationships. It just gives you the perspective of this particular day and the falling out of these particular relationships. And that's all it needs to do. And I imagine that's probably why a lot of people dock it. I'm sure that's probably why um, a large reason why uh, it has a 30 on Metacritic. I don't think that's a good reason, but I would imagine that, you know, the lack of um, the lack of character depth or anything like that has to do with well, it. It's it's interesting, though, because like like you said, he's the only kid who doesn't work there. He gets caught stealing once and then he gets like, you know, shipped out or whatever. Yeah. And then he like comes back with a. Do we do spoilers on this? Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 it's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And then he comes up. back later with a gun and a bunch of blanks and, like, pretends to hold people hostage. Yeah. But people don't know that they're, he's just pretending to hold them hostage. And, like, it just felt so desperately that, like, he just wanted to be one of the cool kids and you were only cool if you worked at that record store. To the point where, like, when he's getting pulled away by the cops later, like, that second time, like, what's his nuts? AJ, like, made him, like, a an employee badge. And yeah. it's just, like, oh, like, you, you just understand how, like, lonely and bored and sad this kid is like that that's that's, you know oddly insightful for like a a teenager like yourself but it's also just like oh fuck these people are really cool and like they're a family and like their immediate instinct is to take care of each other Mm -hmm. um and they do that through music because no one no one rats out lucas the entire time Uh uh-huh that's another thing i like and then also you have the entire uh story with with deb and like the entire suicide subplot yeah, that they they all handle like giving her a funeral to show why they would miss her and why she should be there and why she deserves to be there. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. it's handled super well. Like even in the beginning, like uh, there are a couple of jokes that are like that are kind of like ooh, those are I, they're dark, but because that's their group. Yeah, and the, yeah. <laughs> the Sinead O'Connor joke made me laugh also, but um, that was good. <laughs> it it just shows that they all care for each other and they're all a big family. Mm-hmm. And then like whenever. Uh, who was her character's name whenever Gina freaks out on uh, Liv Tyler's character about her doing diet pills it also shows like how much of a family they are because Joe comes down there and starts comforting her and tries to you know help her yeah and it's like he's just their ba- yeah. he's their he's their father figure of the group mm-hmm. well that and like yeah that that didn't feel like you know friends having a falling out that felt like one sister yelling at another mm-hmm. sister you yes. know like also yeah. i love like the Go ahead. Sorry. I don't mean to like. I'm not trying to make light of like any no drug dependency anyone has, but like I just love that like in the 90s it was just like all about speed. All yeah. The time. 
Like yeah. that was like Lisa Turtle or not Lisa Jesse Spano was addicted to speed. Um, or I guess they called them caffeine pills, like on yeah. um, on Saved by the Bell, and on Family Ties, like Michael J. Fox's character was like doing speed constantly, like for one week to prepare for finals, and then he like ended up like sleeping through his test or whatever, and like that was the lesson learned. Um, Which in reality, we all know that like <laughs> we all know this is Adderall, and you're totally yeah. <laughs> you're, to- <laughs> you're totally right. Um, and I also had another thing that I was thinking about last night whenever Liv Tyler opens the letter and she's like oh I got into Harvard and I'm like man what is with the trope and this isn't a gripe about the movie about this movie in particular but like what is what the fuck is the trope in the late in the mid late 90s and early mid 2000s that like everybody wants to get into fucking Harvard or Stanford or like some Ivy League school it's just living in 2020 it is the weirdest fucking thing to have like to go back and like try to like self insert yourself as a teenager and just be and just like try to live in their head a little bit and try to understand like oh they want to go to a good college this they want to have uh, they want to have careers they want to go to art school whatever and then one of them's like oh yeah I got into an Ivy League school like okay <laughs> that's not fucking relatable yeah Harvard, like for one Stanford you can make a good case that Stanford doesn't actually exist um and like <laughs> like I, I live like a half hour away from there man i'm pretty sure it's real it's not real that's a fake place <laughs> yeah there's fake. many drivers said she went there in goodwill hunting and we never saw her there we don't know if it's a real place or not Stanford how do you like them apples real. i don't she, didn't she go from harvard to stanford in goodwill hunting oh, she was God. also british so she probably went to oxford too i don't know like <laughs> yeah uh, probably pre-med there, yeah. yeah but but yeah like the whole like ivy league thing they also did it later and accepted which we also have to do for this podcast because that's oh that's that a, that's came a out when movie. i was 17 and applying to colleges and that that movie just felt like it felt like a joint i could smoke i'm just like oh i'm <laughs> <Yeah>. so relaxed <laughs> now like I, couldn't, yeah. I could not be less scared about getting into college thanks to this like i'll be i'll be all right <laughs> yeah i would i imagine like accepted was just pure catharsis for 17 year olds <laughs> applying for colleges in 2006 because well, like i saw it between taking the sats and getting my score back of course great time great time to see it prime yeah. time yeah and I, I think that you're right morgan like i know someone who's going to harvard i know people who go to, are in ivy league schools currently but it's still just very one in a thousand like the fact that my high school has two kids going ivy league in the four yeah. years between each other is you know one in like, a million <laughs> like what an unrelatable thing <laughs> to put on a character but that is not exclusive to this movie it is just something i noticed it's just a 90s <laughs> film trope it absolutely is and, and one of the last thing I want to talk about before we go to break for you, unless you guys have anything else, is why is the Rex Manning Day thing a meme now? Like, it's not even, like, Rex Manning Day, like, a celebration of the movie. It's just a meme on Twitter, and I don't quite understand. Like, I oh. always see it every year. It's, like, people are, like, like the Spongebob, it's Rex Manning Day thing. Like, the, the bird Spongebob <laughs> mocking. And I don't yeah. understand why, because, like, the movie's, like, good. Um. <laughs> Well, no, the movie's good. I think I think the reason it's probably made fun of a little bit. Um, the only reason I have this like sort of perspective is because listening to the podcast I was listening to earlier, um, they one of the trivia questions was, you know, what day is it in the show or in the movie? And Jarrett's just like, well, it's they say it like a fucking dozen times, like it is said so much, and I think that's probably why. Like, I think it is so like laid into you uh, throughout Empire Records. I don't feel like it's overbearing or anything. But it's so talked about, and it is almost—it's almost a meme within the movie. 
um, making fun of Liv Tyler's character because she's so obsessed with Rex Manning and she's the proper mm-hmm. like uh, proper fangirl or um, wannabe groupie or uh, yeah wannabe groupie I guess right and yeah. um, and I think that's probably why honestly I don't think it's at least from what I understand I wouldn't think it was uh, making fun of this movie just more so just like oh you're like it's an inside joke making fun of like oh it's Rex Manning day because no one else uh, in the movie cared that it was Rex I Manning just, day. I just assumed it was like it was just one of those who gives a shit because no one gives a shit in the movie except yes. for Liv Tyler. <laughs> like so, I just <laughs> yeah. So that I mean, that was that was my yeah. Also, it's, I it's kind of just like a dunk on her. I also didn't realize that uh, April eighth, which is Rex Manning Day, is also the day Kurt Cobain committed suicide, and that's why it's Jeez. April eighth. So that's oh a, Jesus, a fun little uh, trivia piece. Oh wow. shit! Okay, also, that's I forgot to say this wild. Earlier, but like another trivia piece is this movie was forty minutes longer originally, and they cut it down. Like they got rid of three whole main characters. Ooh, honestly, <laughs> it's I a good like. Well, I assume, I assume that guy who played Sugar High at the end, like oh. I assume he had more of a story, right? Yeah, yeah, probably so. He he was the guy that, with the that guy uh, in the pe- that guy in the pizza shirt too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they took like out. Looked like took out Terminator sh- from American Pie. <laughs> with long hair. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I would I would bet so too. Um, cause he cause the guy who's uh who's playing Sugar High with Renee Zellweger's character, he he's there, and so is the pizza guy too. Um, yeah, but they just kind of like show up, and we're like, they're okay, not introduced. But like, yeah, who are they? <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. just kind of just flies on the wall. Who eventually learn how to talk? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put that. Yeah, and I think that's kind of like all I have for the movie discussion. Do you guys anything else before we go to break? Um, um, you got anything? No, I don't think so. Looking at the notes now, um, no, I think we, I think we covered like most of it. And like, sorry to hijack. Like, I've, I've listened to a couple episodes of this podcast. I listened to the the Hot Rod one most recently. Oh, and, like, oh, sweet. I've got some umbrage that I've I've, I've got with that. Oh, <laughs> um, air grievances, yeah, George. Yeah, do it. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do I'll do that during the break. I don't want to take up airtime now, but um. <laughs> No, I just want to make sure I'm not speaking out of turn here. Um, no, you're good. I think. Okay, sorry. I just, I'm afraid I'm breaking protocol for the podcast. Don't, but like, I think the most protocol. important thing, like, because we talked a lot about how this movie made you feel, and I think yeah, it is definitely a make you feel something. Like, this is just a very like reflexive movie to me. Okay. Um, in a way that like Ethan Embry even is like you know one of the main characters, and then he was in Can't Hardly Wait that came out a few years later. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, a high school-centric movie where, you know, he was in love with this girl and wrote a letter that he wanted to give that blah, blah, blah. Like, typical 90s high school rom-com stuff. Yeah. But it's just... That movie makes me feel younger, I guess. Like, whenever mm-hmm. I watch it now, where, like, I just, I'm just i sort of transported back to being 10 years old watching that movie. Whereas this movie actually makes me feel like it's 25 years ago. Like, this movie actually makes me feel like way more of a time machine. Just because I love this movie, I don't think it's a great movie, mm-hmm. but it just stirs so many things. Like it just captures a moment in time that I can only vaguely remember. But yeah, I'm I choosing to choosing to believe it was right. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I I feel like I would agree. We talked about this movie being a time capsule, and yeah, it it gives me a nostalgia that I shouldn't necessarily have too, um, as someone who was born in 1995. Just um, it's a nostalgia that I have. Um, uh, I guess as like 
I don't know. I don't know. As like a third person perspective, you know, like I saw mm. it from the outside. And so watching this, it feels like coming home in a weird way. Um, the same way that uh, the same way that Days of Confused does as well. Um, I I can't place it, but it, it definitely it makes me feel it makes me feel similarly <laughs> like no, it's, it's funny though because yeah uh, like i said i'm a little older so it's like when i watch 80s movies like that's kind of how i feel where i'm yeah. just like oh fuck this is like when my brother and sister were like 10 you yeah. know um mm -hmm. and so like i get a similar vibe where i'm just like well i wasn't there so i can't know if the goonies is what it felt like but i'm just <laughs> going to assume it was right <laughs> yeah, yeah I, totally. I, I agree 100 it, it for me at least it gives me like this i want to be there but i can't so this is a good a mm -hmm. good option Yep, and I think, I think um, there are other movies that do it as well, like, um, like the Perks of Being a Wallflower. That is another movie that um, does the same for the '90s in a different way. Um, th given that movie is that movie is a lot heavier, um, but it puts you in a place with it puts you in a place with characters um, that you care about and you feel for, and the the time period is almost it almost doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It it almost but, hides the time period side. In fact, they don't know a David Bowie song. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like that, and they can't look it up. Like, it's just like a reason yes. to not have cell phones, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, and it's just like, oh, no one knew that this was a Bowie song, which is just like so, like such a 90s thing, because we didn't, I mean, we didn't have Google then. And yeah, going back and like watching Perks of Being a Wallflower, that is just a movie that uh, does a, such a good job of hiding the time period, but also whenever you realize it's the 90s, it's just like, oh, like this is this is a slice of life in the 90s and empire records does such a good job of doing that strictly from the perspective of maybe like the the person at the record store or like the record store that you would go in and get your favorite cds like you wanted to go in and get the new fucking i don't know deftone cd or something and you know ethan Embry was the guy that's the guy you would talk to and all of these other like all of these other people are just like these caricatures of those people that you like you had a weird fascination with like almost almost crushes on in a weird way and it makes you want to be there and well it's it's that and like i don't know like the term gatekeeper gets thrown around a lot and uh -huh. like i ge i generally agree with like the negative connotations but like i don't know just being a kid like i didn't have constant access to the internet you know yeah and so like i really sort of defaulted to like what other people knew and so like the fact that like you could go and be like hey i really like this one band but i'm looking for something new like is there something else you can recommend me like now it's so easy to do that right but the they fact were... that they were like not even like gatekeepers probably bad but like arbiters you know of tastemakers like, maybe they, yeah exactly yeah they yeah. were like the, yeah, the original influencers um, <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and so it's just like oh fuck like they better be cool people because like i'm trusting them with like how I find new art, you know? Mm -hmm. And, like, I remember when I was 14, I went, um, this is right after Killer's Hot Fuss came out. Okay. And I loved that album. I thought Brandon Flowers, I still think he's, like, one of the coolest people on the planet. And I remember going to Hot Topic because that was, like, the only place within, like, an hour's driving distance of me that, like, sold modern band shirts. Yeah. So I went in to buy it, and, like, this chick who had, like, probably 20 pounds of piercings in her face and, like, Hell a yeah. giant mohawk, and she's wearing, like, a Slipknot t-shirt. Hell she's yeah. Like, oh, she's like, oh, you like the killers, huh? They're okay. A little soft. And I'm <laughs> oh, just like, shit. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm 14. Please don't beat me up, please. <laughs> yeah, totally. And in the same way that I think, um, I think a lot of kids nowadays um, do the same thing at maybe a GameStop. 
Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I would I would say the same. You um, like Kingdom given... Hearts? <laughs> what a baby. Well, that's, like the last... <laughs> I mean, that's a great point though, because GameStop is kind of like the last like record store equivalent yeah. left, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, really. I mean, like just as like Target, everything's in... new and yeah. everything's like modern. But like GameStop is like one of the last places you can go to that's national, you know, that like yeah. has like a used section. Um, yeah, I mean, like as someone who worked at a game exchange for, God, how long did I work there? I mean, two, three years, right? So. You know, like I know what that's like. I know, I know what it's like for some kid to like put Final Fantasy 13 on the table and be like, "Is this game good?" And am I gonna be the guy that tells him my honest opinion and tells him that I really like it, or am I gonna tell him like the general consensus? But it doesn't matter because his dad doesn't like magic anyway, so he can't play. It. <laughs> so, which is that is a true story. Oh my <laughs> but, god. Yeah, and so, yeah, like, as someone who worked at, like, a game exchange, you know, I can relate a lot to the, like, to some of the caricatures at Empire Records, because you had, you have the metalhead, and, like, just in the same way, I had a coworker who was, you know, who was the RPG guy, or the first-person shooter guy, and stuff like that, and so... The guy who thought the only good video game was Dark Souls, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, luckily I didn't work with them, but I did have someone who vouched for Kirby too much, Ooh. giving... Kirby, Kirby's good. I will not have bad words said about Kirby uh, on this podcast, but maybe you don't have to like Kirby that much, you know? Kirby, cool. Kirby's like a perfect, like, if you're, it's like a, a hangover game. Like, when you're Truly. really hungover, you're just like, okay, there's, like, pretty colors, nothing, like, I can wear sunglasses indoors and play this game. The yeah. sound's not too offensive, the platforming's not too complicated. Um, yeah, my son loves it, he's four. He's, like, he loves Kirby, he's, it's a vibe with Kirby in our house. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have we've gone on a track that is just like yes, <laughs> on down a forest hill, and I loved it. Uh, with that, we're gonna go to break real quick. We'll be right back with "Isn't That Terrible?" Morgan's feud of the week. We'll see you guys after the break. And we are back. It is time, George and Morgan. Is Empire Records that terrible? George? No. Okay. No, it's not. Yeah, you heard it from George. No, it's not that terrible. <laughs> it's not It's not 30 terrible. What about you, Zach? I don't think it is in the slightest. I think it's actually a very fun... I was going to say very good, but I was. It's, it's a good movie. I don't mm-hmm. know if very should be in the front of it, but it's a really good movie. I put it here in the notes. It's just a transport for a killer soundtrack, but with yeah. having the, the cast in it, I think it makes up for the meh. The meanness that is the plot. Yeah. Because yeah, it's like, just a good time. After watching it last night, I was kind of I was kind of meh. And then listening to a podcast on today, I was like, okay, this gives me a little bit more to chew on um, than what the actual movie did. And then talking about it with both of you, it's just like, oh, well, I mean, I, I think I actually am a lot fonder of this movie than I initially thought. Well, I think it's just, it's really important to sort of acknowledge it that like this wasn't a movie for kids this wasn't a movie for adults this was very specifically a movie for teenagers that came out in mm-hmm. 1995 yeah and the reason the soundtrack is so killer is like I don't, growing up in like a small town like i mean just like outside of like any major city i guess like even if it's like a hundred thousand people i still consider that relatively small um, yeah but it's just like i never heard music like this on the radio you know Oh yeah, and like M- MTV, I heard it sometimes, but not all the time. You know, it was mostly pop music. It was a lot of like hip hop. Like ninety five, that was like 
right before Biggie died, right after Biggie died, um, right before I think Tupac he, died. Like, uh, yeah, um, I think I think Biggie died in '95. Yeah, so it's just like you were hearing very specific slices of culture, and like this movie was like a fun little piece of counterculture. And you're just like, mm-hmm. these were the kinds of people you wanted to meet. These were the kinds of people that you wanted to spend time with because they they felt real and like i know we were sort of bashing on them for just being like caricatures but like the fact that they were just sort of like stock attitudes with legs you know like that was just like one thing you're like oh that feels slightly more real than you'd think um given like i said how much we bashed on it but it was it was just like the discoverability with it it just felt like here's a slice of cool that we're going to deliver to you yeah and like i totally understand why some people today wouldn't like it like it's kind of like like baseball where it's like a lot of older people in your life really like it and like they try to explain it to you but you're like okay like i'll give it a shot and you watch a baseball game you're like what the fuck is this like i understand why the modern generation doesn't like baseball the same way i can understand why like if i had like a 15 year old cousin i could be like oh dude you should watch this movie you'd really love it i could totally understand why they would either hate it more than anything in the world or think it's the greatest thing that's ever happened. Like, I could totally see it going... Like, I think this movie exists in extremes. I don't think... Yeah. yeah. There's no in-between on it. Yeah, and I think 30 is a little too... Uh, drastic of a... An assumption for it. Yeah, yeah I, I really think that this movie is not terrible. And I'm kind of surprised we even have to do it for the show, because it's... I really thought it'd be higher up. Um, so we've discussed it's not that terrible. Morgan, before we wrap up, who is your feud of the week? Oh, yeah, I mean, it's easily Lucas, right? I mean, he, Lucas, he starts out the movie, and you kind of already get it. Like, Lucas doesn't, Lucas always means well. We all know uh, this fucker means well. But even then, he's talking to uh, Renee Zellweger's character, and he's like, oh, yeah, this will, you know, this is going to fucking take the patience of a saint, or the obedience of a saint, right? Mm-hmm. And then you know the the lady comes in after midnight and i you assume they you assume that they sleep together and then all of a sudden like he has like this uh this uh, fucking brain explosion he's like oh yeah i'm gonna fucking go like gamble all this money in atlantic city i'm gonna save empire records and i'm gonna double this shit and then he tries to quadruple it right and like what the fuck were you thinking for one, driving to Atlantic City, two, putting the money on the fucking table, and three, going double or fucking nothing. Like, what is wrong with you? And then, uh, barely takes, like, you can say he takes responsibility for it throughout the movie, but not really. He doesn't really show much remorse. He's just kind of like, fuck. And then the rest of the movie is just like, oh man, how are we gonna, like, how are we going to get all this money back and not like, so Lucas doesn't have to face any repercussions for his actions. And even throughout the, the rest of the movie, Lucas still has this attitude that he has the very beginning until the very end, whenever everybody's like, Oh no, we'll help you out. And then he's just kind of like, you know, I kind of, I do kind of deserve this. Like I totally shot myself in the foot. I deserve whatever is coming to me. Call the cops. I'll go. But I, I think he's also selfish. He's also a very yes. selfish character because, like, he's like everyone's like, no, we need to save the store so that we aren't fucked over. Also, because yes, exactly. If the store gets sold, they all are forced to live lives at the store that's not their life at the store. Yeah, and, exactly. And Lucas and is like, nah, we'll let it go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He like he doesn't have to pay for anything. He's so apathetic by the end of it that it doesn't even matter. 
but that's fine because none of these none of these characters a handful of these characters have a little bit of growth i think the most would be um deborah right yeah okay i think she probably has the most growth out of everybody here um i think lucas definitely has the least i think lucas was probably just a plot device which is fine but lucas no lucas fucking sucks and if I were if I were the uh, if I were the manager, I would have beaten the shit. Okay, wait, he did. <laughs> yeah, Joe um, did. <laughs> okay, maybe I don't know. Maybe he got justice. I don't know. I would have fucking like called. Well, no, probably wouldn't call the cops. But I would have beat the fuck out of Lucas. <laughs> and I feel like I don't know. Maybe okay, thinking about it, maybe Lucas got his justice earned. I don't fucking know. But <laughs> Lucas fucking sucks. Like you, you go and you take nine grand, you turn it into eighteen grand, and you're like, oh, let's fucking do it again, and you fucking lose all of it. Like what? I just don't fucking get it. I don't fucking get it, and I think that's probably, like... That's probably the weakest part of the movie to me, because it has... The only real motivation you know is that, like, oh, he wants to save Empire Records, and he goes and he makes this really shitty fucking decision that would be shitty to literally anybody else, and he doesn't have a gambling addiction. It just kind of happens. And then that is what sets the plot forward. It's pretty amazing that, like, you know, in that opening scene, we were presented with the problem of the movie. That it looks yeah. like he's selling it to the Hollywood records or whatever they're called. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's one problem. Like, that's, that's oh, that's the crux of the movie. That's the plot. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, no, man, it's like, they're, he's doing that, and we're also short nine grand now. <laughs> so, yeah. It's just, it's funny that, like, it just immediately, like, uh, ups the antes when it was, it just presented us with, like, what we thought was already high stakes. And they're like, just that's what you think bitch and then it just like doubles it again <laughs> yeah and in like in 2020 that is nine thousand dollars now i think is is uh, if you adjust for inflation it's 13 grand which yeah, is like my that's my rent for a year yeah. god dude that's fucking nuts yeah fuck lucas lucas fucking sucks i don't I like go i i'd rather watch him in days of confused you know what i mean but also that actor that actor does a good job in this movie i will say playing the character that they are supposed to play yeah uh, before you say that uh look up what that guy did on the set of oh Baby no oh, okay oh, no. well all right well that's a post-show thing Fuck. Yes. <laughs> all right with that i think we're gonna wrap it up here uh george where can people find you and the things that you do um you know what I um I just started a games podcast with my friend Fabio. I've known him for like eight years now, seven years. Uh, we've been to a couple E3s together doing coverage for websites, and we decided to just talk about games just to pass time. Um, we're about to release our first episode, so you can find all of that under Another Game Pod uh, on Twitter um, at Another Game Pod. So please follow there for friends who drink wine and smoke bowls and talk about video games oh that sounds like a good time morgan (laughs) where do people find you at um if you want to find me i don't recommend it you can find me on (laughs) twitter.com slash morgan highslip instagram.com slash morgan highslip um i just do it's not that terrible uh that's it. Zach, where can people find you, pal? Uh, you can find me on this little podcast. It's a podcast called It's Not That Terrible. Uh, I think it's okay. It's kind of shit sometimes, but it's, it's not awful. that terrible. The episode, the episode coming out, I think this week's going to be pretty good. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Y-R-O-K-A-Z underscore N-W-O-R-B. Um, that's basically where I do everything. I stream sometimes, twitch.tv slash Y-R-O-K-A-Z. I'll probably come back after I beat Last of Us Part 2. Um, yeah, and I that's, that's it for me. Um Thank you guys for listening. Next week, we'll be looking at Power Rangers 2017 with Chris Campandillo. 
So please check that out. Uh, be kind to each other. Have a good week, and we will see you next week. Go fast, eat ass.